Welcome to the Run Against Violence podcast for 2022, where together we'll listen, learn and talk about how we can all take steps to create respectful relationships in order to prevent family violence in our communities. Hello, I'm Jen Brown and I am the host of the Run Against Violence podcast for 2022. This podcast covers the Run Against Violence, or as we affectionately like to call it, RAV, virtual team challenge, as teams of walkers and runners are virtually chasing each other from Broken Hill to Sydney, and in some cases back, covering a distance of 1,300 kilometres or 32 marathons over 19 days. I would like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and travel through. Our route from Broken Hill to Sydney crosses from the lands of the Wiradjuri Nation in the west of New South Wales to the Eora Nation in the east, and I am recording this podcast on Darug and Gundungara country. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening today. So welcome back. It is, can you believe it, day 14, 15, depending on how you count your days and when you listen to this, of the 2022 Virtual Challenge not long now. The finish line is in sight. The sprint to the finish line has started and we are almost there. Uh, We are almost finished the virtual challenge for this year. So hang tight. There's only, only a few more days to go. Now, before we dive into this episode, I wanted to update you on two numbers. The first is the donations target. So as of yesterday, the tally stood at over $31,000, which is incredible. Now, RAV's goal for this year is $100,000. And 100% of that is going to NAPCAN, the National Association for the Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect, and for their incredible Love Bites program, which we spoke all about in the last episode. So if you want to understand more about Love Bites and where the money goes, go back and listen to that episode. And if you'd like to donate or still do some fundraising for Love Bites, you can visit the Run Against Violence website at runagainstviolence.com forward slash donate. I've also put the link in the show notes for you. And remember that you can donate all the way until the end of the year. Now, the second number is my favorite. And I have, as promised, kept you updated on this one through each of the episodes of the podcast during the virtual challenge. The combined distance and the number of times you and I, we, Rav, everyone participating in the virtual challenge has circumnavigated the globe. The number of laps around the Earth's circumference or around the equator, essentially. So fun fact for your next trivia night, The distance around the equator is 40,075 kilometres. When I read the numbers yesterday, last night, about 12 hours before this episode went live, we had covered a combined total of a mind-blowing 205,000 kilometres, 205,821 kilometres to be precise, meaning so far we have made over five trips around the world. 5.1. And we've still got a few more days to go. So I cannot wait to see what the number is at the end of the challenge, especially as we're all now sprinting to that finish line. 
Okay, let's get on with today's episode. We wanted to make sure that in this season of the podcast, we explored the challenges and the needs faced by victims and survivors of domestic and family violence in our regional and remote communities, including and in particular our First Nations and Indigenous women who are up to 35 times more likely to experience family and domestic violence than non-Indigenous women. So for a unique perspective on this, today you're going to meet Siobhan Mackay. She's the CEO of the Catherine Women's Legal Service. Quills, as they are known, is a not-for-profit community legal centre based in Catherine in the Northern Territory that provides free legal advice and services in and around Catherine. She has four lawyers working for her who cover, wait for it, they cover an area the size of Victoria and Tasmania combined. They also do a lot of work in the law reform and advocacy space to try and change the laws and the system to improve outcomes for women in the Northern Territory. So we talk about the statistics around domestic and family violence for women in the Territory, as well as the challenges that victims and survivors face when trying to access support services in regional and remote communities. Plus, we talk about the fact that while lots of funding has been poured into the prevention of domestic and family violence, which is incredible and important, unfortunately, the same resourcing hasn't been put into our support services, meaning that more and more people are coming forward and seeking help, which is incredible. But services like Siobhan's are struggling to keep up with demand. Plus, with topics like this, I think it's really easy for us, the rest of the community, to think there's nothing that we can really do to help. Certainly, we can have conversations and drive change in our local community, but how on earth do we drive change elsewhere in our country? So I asked Siobhan about what steps you and I can take to improve the outcomes for our Indigenous and First Nations women in particular. Siobhan, welcome to the RAV podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Um, So you are the CEO of the Catherine Women's Legal Service based in Catherine, I assume. Yes. So we can can get our bearings. (laughs) Yeah, I'm right up in the top end. (laughs) So we can get our bearings. Where exactly is Catherine? So Catherine is about 300 kilometres south of Darwin, I think there's a bit of a misconception that we're halfway between Darwin and Alice Springs, but Alice Springs is another 1,300 kilometres down the uh, down the highway. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't realise it was that far. I have actually yeah. been to Catherine, I, will ah. say, I can say. Um, I was young, but it's I have been there. a beautiful place. <laughs> wow. And so can you tell us a bit about the Catherine Women's Legal Service? You know, what sort of work do you do and what area do you cover? Yeah, so we work with all women in Catherine and the Big Rivers region. So the Big Rivers region is 330,000 square kilometres, the size of Tassie and, uh, yeah, Tassie and Victoria (laughs) combined. Um, And so to cover that area, I have four lawyers. So each of my lawyers is responsible for an area the size of Tasmania. Um, so border to border, Queensland border, um, Boralula would be our um, most easterly uh, community and then right across to the WA border um, and Amanbidji and Lajamanu were the most westerly communities that we work with. So um, any woman or 
um, a person who identifies as being a woman or a non-binary person across that entire region is able to access our service. So we're a specialist women's legal service. Um, so it means, you know, we're a feminist organisation. We're by women for women. And we have a particular focus on the reduction of domestic family and sexual violence. Um, so that comes through in, you know, almost all um, areas of our work. We do have a very large domestic violence practice, but also family law, um, child protection, employment, discrimination, consumer law, you know, you name it, we do it as long as wow. it's not criminal law. Um, so a very varied practice, but certainly a commonality um, is that a lot of our women have experienced violence um, and and quite often that is relevant to the legal issues or certainly, um, uh, you know, the complexity of, of the legal issues that they're facing. Wow. So many questions. <laughs> Such a big, as it blows my mind that that territory, that area is covered by four lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's pretty big. And, it, I mean, it's a range as well. You know, we've got obviously Catherine is a small, you know, it's a regional town. We're about mm -hmm. 10,000 people. We have RAF based Tyndall just outside of town. Um, there's a lot of cattle stations throughout the region, a lot of remote Aboriginal communities, some smaller townships. So it's, you know, people's experiences in, you know, across the region are really, really varied and I guess that's that's the trick is trying to make sure that every woman, regardless of where they are, um, you know, know that we're here mm. um, and know that they can access us. That's a big yeah. part of our job is just trying to spread the word of who we are and that we're here. Mm. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about um, access to support services in a minute, but let's take a step back and, you know, look at the numbers in terms of um domestic and family violence in the Indigenous and First Nations community. I was, as, as I said to you before we started recording, I am new to this space. This is this year's been a massive learning curve for me and I was mm -hmm. stunned and embarrassed as a country um, given the numbers in terms of family and domestic violence. Can you give us just a sense of what the stats currently tell us about the scale of this problem? Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, in the so the territory has the highest what we call the victimisation rates. Um, so that means that per one hundred thousand women that live in the territory, we have far higher rates than anywhere else in Australia. If you were compare to one hundred thousand um, elsewhere, so our victimisation rate in the territory, and this was just recently um, confirmed by the release of the. Australian Bureau of Statistics 2021 recorded crime victim stats. Um, and so we had, um, yeah, 3,802 victims um, per 100,000 women. And, you know, at the lowest end of the spectrum, you have the ACT with 363. <gasps> so, yeah, and then the, the national comparison of female DV assault victims, so the NT is 3,727,000 mm -hmm. women per 100,000. The next closest is WA with 1,253. <gasps> Wow. And then it steps down from there. So the NT has, you know, three times even the next closest jurisdiction in terms of our victimisation rates. So whilst the number of women, um, you know, if you're looking at, at that 
level is is fewer um, overall. Uh, it just it, it just means that women in the NT are three times less safe than women in the next jurisdiction, in the next least safe jurisdiction. Yeah, never mind the ACT where they're That's right. 10X. Yeah, no. yeah. And then we see those numbers then continue to, to swell um, when you look at First Nations women. Um, Quills works with both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal women. Um, but certainly um, we see percentage-wise, we see a much higher number of Aboriginal women seeking our services. Um, and, again, the, the stats that were released a couple of months ago really bear that out. Wow. It's, uh, oh, God, I don't even know how to respond to those stats other than to say I don't understand why this is not considered a national emergency. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think it's, I mean, it's obviously important to recognise that DV happens across the entire sector, um, mm. across race and gender and sexual identity, mm. income class, men experience it too, same-sex relationships, the whole gambit. Um, but there's no doubt, as you say, you know, um, our Indigenous community is disproportionately represented in those numbers. If if domestic family violence is a symptom of a problem, just sticking a Band-Aid on the symptom doesn't solve the problem, does it? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, you know, some of the recent advocacy that we've done around the cashless debit card, you know, I think I think really brings that to, to life. You know, there, there's an argument of, okay, well, you know, there are vulnerable women that are experiencing domestic and family violence, therefore we should have this card that protects them. Well, putting the card, you know, on top of the victim survivor of violence doesn't address the violence. You know, like that that's the behaviour that needs to be changed. That's the problem behaviour. Um, and putting a card on the victim survivor does nothing to address that um, behaviour. You, you know, some might say that it, it removes that um, uh, thread that mm-hmm. the user of violence can use. But, you know, another thread can easily be found. Um, yes. just, just because you have a cashless debit card or a basics card doesn't mean that suddenly the financial abuse dissipates. Unfortunately, it is likely to continue and just present in a different way. Mm. So, yeah, that, that is a, you know, a, a clear example to my mind <laughs> of where, you know, we've put this card on people for 15 years, but what we haven't done is all the other work underneath that looks at, you know, what what's happening and how can we change this entire story. Mm. Um, you know, so the investment in community-led responses, the investment in, um, you know, strong women talking about what is right for their community. It has to be place-based. It has to be community-led. Um, you know, investment in financial literacy and, and yes. financial counselling. Again, community, culturally designed, led and delivered um, literacy, education programs, empowerment programs. And unfortunately, in the social sector, social services sector, we can often feel like we're bickering over peanuts of money, mm-hmm. Um you know, to to try and work really intensively with communities to drive that change at that level because, I mean, that's that's what works, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the principles of community development and, and so on show us time and time again 
that 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 is what will work but we've never been you know across the entire sector never been able to to do that because we're too busy competing for for little mm, peanuts, for peanuts. And, and we'd save I mean you know just to put the economic lens on it um we would save billions of dollars like 2018 dv cost australia 26 billion <gasps> now i don't cost, it doesn't cost me 26 billion dollars to run my service <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anywhere near <laughs> um take off several 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 zeros several all of the zeros <laughs> yeah and then divide it by about three <laughs> um so you know quite aside from the lives that would be saved, the trauma that would be avoided, you know, the, the the fact that people could actively participate safely in their society, in their relationships, their communities, their families, their home, we would also just save a whole lot of money. Yeah. Gosh. Yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, it's sad to say that sometimes it's the numbers that shift the dial for people more than the actual stories and people yeah yeah definitely and I think that's why you sort of almost have to do everything you know you have to use the numbers you have to use the individual stories and and whatever it is that will resonate with people Mm. so when uh, early on you allude you talked about the challenges with actually telling women in your community in that area that you cover about the services that you offer Mm. what are some of the other barriers that you see in terms of women in your community um, trying to access support services? Well, I mean, there's some some really basic logistical things like <laughs> do you have a phone? Does your community have phone reception? Um, certainly there's a lot more communities now that have phone reception. We even got had one a little outstation, Lingara, outside of um, Yarralin. They had their phones switched on the other day. So, you know, you still have vast um, tracts of land in the Territory where you don't even have phone reception. If you do have a phone reception, is that a secure um, line, you know, is it a shared mobile phone or is it a landline if you're calling from a cattle station where someone could trace the fact that you've you've reached out for help? Um, so there's a lot of those practical reasons. You know, flooding, we flood all the time, so um, women may not be able to, um, you know, leave the community. Um, there's not all of our communities have safe houses. There was some media recently about the Timber Creek community which is um 300 kilometers west towards the wa border mm-hmm. and i mean they don't have a safe house so if something happens that woman if they want to access a safe house has to be driven into Catherine. you know that's in the case where the user of violence hasn't been arrested so yeah very few of our communities have have safe houses again if you're looking at the cattle station style um position you know of course absolutely not <laughs> nothing yeah. um there's also you know there's real challenges in terms of community pressure and family pressure um again you know I'm not the best person to speak about to that but certainly anecdotally I've had a lot of women say over the time you know that they're getting blamed from family for the husband being locked up um you know if that woman has married a man from another community, so she's away from her supports. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be really difficult. Uh, there's, you know, we have amazing linguistic diversity across the Catherine region. We're, you know, we're so incredibly lucky 
um, that we have so many languages that are still strong and and some that are growing, which is really um, exciting. Unfortunately, we don't have the interpreters to match Mm. that need. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely something that we always ask our clients when they come in is what language would they like to have conversations in? You know, what language would you prefer to tell your story in? Um, And but that's really challenging when someone says, okay, Walpreet, Gurindji, Ngaraman, but then you send the interpreter booking requests through and and there's no one. So there's a, yeah, that, you know, and look, the AIS, um, you know, has has been working to rectify that. It's not a criticism of them at all. It's it's just a barrier that exists. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, similarly for, for people that use sign language, there are very few sign language interpreters in the Territory. Um, mostly they're done by Zoom. So that can make it quite difficult for people to form a connection um, and for um, languages that originate outside of Australia, again, it's mostly using phone interpreters um, based interstate uh, for that access. I could keep going, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've gone for a while. You ask another question. Oh, gosh. it's. I mean, it's a great insight into... I mean, it's a sad indictment of the support that is available, especially in places like NT, but it's a great insight for those of us who live, you know, particularly in capital cities or major Uh, regional areas where support (laughs) services and access and telephone, like, I don't know anyone who lives in Sydney who wouldn't lose their mind if they couldn't, you know, their mobile phone went down for 10 minutes and we're talking about communities that don't even have one or may not have a secure line that can't be tracked or traced so yeah absolutely and I, well I quite enjoyed the watching the south freak out about petrol I shouldn't say enjoyed because you know of course <laughs> it's terrible and, and the pressures of the cost of living uh, um, you know are terrible and unfortunately will also have an impact on women's safety yeah. um, but having been paying $2.50 minimum <laughs> for petrol <laughs> that's how much it costs out in remote community so you need to um, you know, have a car that's registered and then you need to be able to fuel it up um, just to get out of community and your fuel was previously $2.50. I haven't fueled up in community for a while now, so I shudder to think um, how much it would cost to to put some petrol in your tank at the moment out there. And you were talking about that community to 300 k's west of you that doesn't have a safe house, so that's you know, you need a car, you need a registration, you need a license, you need $300 worth of fuel at $2.50 per litre plus. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's, that's one a hill close of community on a sealed road. So, you know, yeah, we've, we've got communities that are six, 700 kilometres away and that are unsealed roads. So there's been so much focus recently on prevention of mm. family and domestic violence. And I would, I would put RAV in that space. You know, we're all about preventing Mm. conversations that drive ultimately prevention Mm. but you were saying you were sharing with before before we started recording that this sort of focus that the country has at the moment on prevention is causing issues elsewhere in the system can you share what some of those are yeah so I suppose the way that we always talk about it is if you're doing prevention right or doing prevention well then you are going to see more clients seeking help and whether that be from legal services, from shelters, um, you know, emergency relief funds, social services, financial counsellors and so on. Um, and so absolutely, you know, prevention's where we need to be putting a lot of energy. You know, this is 
you know, things like RAV are the only thing that are going to change because we need to change societal understandings of gender and gender inequality and gendered violence. Um, and so these conversations are so, so important. But so what might happen is that someone may listen to the RAV podcast and, you know, the, the recent one on coercive control and identify, hey, actually this is this is causing me some concern. I might need to go and talk to someone about that. And so they come here. Perfect. That's exactly. You've done your job. I've done my job because the door was here. It was unlocked and they've, they've found us. The issue is, is that the funding for the frontline services, specifically women's legal services, is not keeping up with that. So we are already unable to meet the need. And with all of the, you know, incredible prevention work that's happening in the NT and nationally, we expect to see the number of presentations continue to increase, which means that we'll fall further and further behind. Like, the, yeah, the gap of us being able to meet the, the needs of people that are walking in the door, it's, it's just, it's growing. It's mm. growing every day. Um, and so that's really challenging. You know, it's been really, really heartening in the NT to see some phenomenal investment in the DB sector recently. There are some fantastic programs being funded, you know, again, going back to that community-led place-based responses. Um, there's been some really great investment in um, expanding safe houses and building a new safe house in in Palmerston outside of Darwin. But the women's legal services don't see any of that money. Mm. Um, and so we're really struggling, <laughs> firstly, you know, just on the ground to meet the need, but we're also really struggling to kind of get our voices out there to say, look, we really, really need the help. We need the money to be able to then do this acute crisis response mm. because we're not currently funded adequately to do it by any means. Mm. And and I would say that's true for women's legal services across the country. There are 13 mm. of us across the country. We work really closely together. There are three of us in the NT. It, it's a struggle for for how how we can get our voices out there for we're a really important piece of this puzzle. We're a DV mm. specialist legal service, um, and we really need to be part of part of these conversations and part of these funding allocations. It's just I mean we talked about this before I started recording. You said you know if you're doing prevention right, the numbers will spike. Yeah, and if you are already struggling or unable to meet current demand. And we're pouring all these resources into the the front end of that mm-hmm. conveyor belt, for want of a much yeah. better phrase. Yeah. Um, but we're not picking up the piece at the back end. Like, yeah, there's going to be more and more people seeking help who just cannot get any help. That's right, and you know, and then the safety concerns for that. The most dangerous time for a woman is during or post separation, and you know, if if those wheels are starting to be put in place, and then suddenly all of the supports that she was relying on say, "Sorry, we don't have capacity. Our books are closed." You know, that leaves her incredibly unsafe. Could leave mm-hmm. her children extremely unsafe, um, and also, you know, absolutely traumatize her. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's such a big step for someone to seek help, um, and, and to take that step and be turned away. I just, yeah, my heart cracks at the thought of any woman that's in that position. Mm. (sighs) Um, the other thing you said to me before we started recording was about funding, Mm. that what funding you do have is distributed on a, population basis. Mm, yeah, that's right. So 
legal services across the country are generally, you know, there's other little pockets, but generally funded by the Commonwealth Attorney General's Department under a, a an instrument called the National Legal Assistance Partnership. Um, and there is a um, an equation essentially worked <laughs> into that as to how um, any funding is to be distributed and that is based on population. So a really good example of how that um, model works was there was uh, the, the women's legal services across Australia had done a huge amount of joint advocacy around unmet need and the kind of funding that we would need. We engaged the consultants and the total figure was $129 million and all the women's legal services agreed, right, the NT needs $32 million of this. Then Prime Minister Scott Morrison, as part of the 2021 May budget announcement, announced that $120 million was going to women's legal services. So we were absolutely delighted. But then... In the fine print. <laughs> in the fine print, it was then distributed according to this formula or equation in the NLAP, the, the funding instrument. Um, and so instead we got $4 million for the territory um, and then divided by three equals, um, you know, well... It ended up being divided by four, so a quarter of that went to someone that wasn't a women's legal service, and then the three women's legal services each received um, just over $1 million each over four years, so oh. $250,000. So, you know, it's it's enough for one lawyer, whereas we had conceived of this as, you know, this total game changer. You know, we were going to have in-house financial counsellors, in-house social workers, um, you know, more lawyers. Just it was it was meant to absolutely change everything, yep. create almost an ecosystem that could support yeah women's yep. needs. Yeah, and because that's a model that that's a model that's been running under pilot since 2015, and all of the evaluations of it show that that's the model that works. You know, the evaluations of this model being run out of other women's legal services is glowing. Um, and so that that was kind of where we'd pitched that that funding request. So yeah, it was pretty devastating. Yeah, the 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 needs that you have are so disproportionately out. <laughs> like why some actuary somewhere? No offense to any actuaries listening, but uh, some actuary <laughs> somewhere has gone. Let's do it on a population basis rather than a needs basis. So the people who need the most money because they have the most needs in their community get the least amount of money because you've got. That's yeah Small population numbers it's yeah, ridiculous yeah. and it's i mean you know it's i suppose we say that a lot that you know we have the highest need and then to have it confirmed by those abs stats mm-hmm. and i should say that those those stats represent a 12% increase in dv victims over the previous 12 months so you know at at the exact time that there's this sort of bun fight over this 129 million dollars um uh, yeah, we had a 12% increase in DV. Um, and then, I, I mean, you know, to look to rub salt into the wound, um, did the, the money then wasn't quarantined for women's legal services. So across Australia you had a number of um, jurisdictions, Queensland, everything went to the women's legal service, um, but elsewhere money was distributed amongst other services um, so yeah, the the game changer turned into a bit of a slap a in bit the face. Of a, yeah, yeah, it was it was really really disheartening. Can't lie. Oh, don't blame you. 
Let's, um, I know I've got to let you go shortly, but let's talk about law reform and advocacy, advocacy, because I know you do a lot of work in that space Mm. as well. Um, You mentioned the Northern Territories Legislative and Systematic systemic Review that's underway at the moment. What's, can you fill us in on what's, what they're looking into? Yeah, so they're looking into, you know, all the, all the legislation and systems that are in place around DV in the NT. So it's been a huge um, piece of work being led by the Office of Domestic Violence in um, as part of the Department of Territory Families and Communities up here in the Territory. Um, so there's been a lot of consultation with the sector over about the last 12 months um, around, you know, what, what do we want to do? What kind of legislative reform do we need? Um, and what kind of systems reform do we need? It it dovetails in, obviously, with some of the national conversations that are happening around, um, you know, the criminalisation of coercive control, a definition of coercive control, yes. a national definition of domestic and family violence. So there's heaps of, of moving parts, but the um, the Territory released a discussion paper on it um, approximately a fortnight ago and, and um, a welcoming submissions on that into October. So that will be really interesting to see. Um, where that lands um, mm. and some of the reforms that, that might follow um, as a result of, of that consultation. That's a massive project. It's huge. It, yeah, the briefing paper's, you know, hundreds of pages long. Um, but it, it's because it's such a big piece of work, you know. There's no, there's no point jiggling one section in one piece of legislation. You know, it's really trying to look at this whole pole of system change that, that needs to needs to happen. Yeah. Speaking of one piece of system, you mentioned one piece of legislation, you mentioned the anti-discrimination changes that they're, mm. you've put a, you've put a submission in on that? Yeah. Or? So to, the, the three women's legal services in the territory. So there's um, us in um, Catherine Big Rivers, there's top end women's legal service, Chules covers Darwin um, and the greater Darwin and cross into Arnhem Land and then the Central Australian Women's Legal Service calls. So they're based in Alice and cover the Barclay and the Centre. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of, we all work really closely together, um, really collaborative and so we do quite a lot of joint law reform work because none of us are funded to have a law reform <laughs> um, position. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we recently put in a, um, a joint submission to the proposed amendments to the Anti-Discrimination Act here in the Territory. I think that was the rest of your question, was it, about the Act? Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the, well, your submission was to make domestic violence one of the, we were trying to both trim the phrase <laughs> and we're both attribute. lawyers, so we should know attributes. Yeah, yeah. You cannot... Sorry, to make domestic violence or the fact you've experienced domestic violence one of the attributes that mean you cannot be discriminated against on that basis. The yeah. fact that you could be discriminated against on the basis of being a DV victim survivor blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's pretty horrifying and that's particularly in the workspace, um, you know, and, and obviously, again, there's a lot of change happening in that space with respect at work and the recent um, passing of the 10 days paid um, domestic and family violence leave, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Um, but, yeah, so the the anti- well, the Attorney-General recently released um, a proposed bill um, 
for the Anti-Discrimination Act in the in the Territory. And there'd been a lot of, we'd done a lot of advocacy work beforehand. So the, the proposal is that um, DV be included as a protected attribute. So our, our submission was very much, <laughs> yes, yay. <laughs> That's um, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And long overdue, like every other change, change legislative and systemic that is needed. Um, one last question before I let you go. Like you've got mm. boots on the ground up there. You're doing the work every day. What role do you think the rest of the community, like what steps can we, what steps can all our RAV participants play to improve the outcome for victim survivors of domestic violence, but particularly our um, First Nations women and children as well? Well, I think just really amplifying the messages that are coming out of the Territory, out of, you know, well, any any First Nations voice, of course, Mm. There are, you know, Indigenous women right across the country that are speaking really strongly about violence in their communities. Um, you know, I think that things like, you know, if you see my face on an ABC <laughs> article or, you know, I follow our Facebook page, you know, just those kinds of things of of linking in and, and following what's happening on the ground up here, um, you know, because I think unfortunately as we saw with the recent murder of, two women and a child in the Territory, it, it doesn't get the same amount of coverage if it was to happen outside of the Territory mm-hmm. and if it was happening to happen to a non-Aboriginal woman, um, which is really devastating. And, um, you know, a lot of very strong women spoke out about their despair at the coverage of, of those tragedies. So, you know, kind of voting with your feet, like if you see that something like that is happening in the Territory, you know, read the media, push push the media to, to cover it, like read what you can. There's amazing Territory authors that are um, doing really tremendous work. Yeah, just just every, every little bit. <laughs> That's such a good point about even amplifying like the media, like A, what media do you read and what articles... Mm would you sort of scan over previously but now Mm. would you stop and read instead? Um, Mm. The fact that certain, you know, domestic and family violence in certain sectors of our community and, unfortunately, you know, homicides that do occur get far less media attention is just a travesty on, I mean, it's, it's, it's the media, but it's also us because we're the ones who click on these articles and read these articles and the media's job is just to sell advertising essentially yeah that's right and again like it's all embedded in such a long history you know of how much do we value aboriginal women's lives and you know unfortunately there's there's been a horrible history there that that needs to be urgently urgently revisited um you know i mean the fact that we have three aboriginal women representing the nt in the federal parliament now is just it's so exciting so things like go and all of them spoke about this in their you know their first speeches like follow Malandiri mccarthy marion scrimger jacinta price on facebook you know see what they're saying mm. um you know see what lydia thorpe is saying see but yeah just you know i mean obviously this is very much going down the social media line but yeah, there there are people with such amazing voices that are that are out there, and if you follow them and they're keeping up to date, not only are you you know supporting them and amplifying them, but you're also getting the voice directly from them. Yes, um, you know you're not relying on another um, you know a media outlet to to distill it. They choose what's important. Yes, you know if you follow 
um, like how many people knew, for example, that it was wear pink for April Day this week, you know, like and, and the work that her daughter continues to do to shift the, you know, the systemic failings that led to her mum's death. Um, so, yeah, follow April Day, see what she's doing because she mm. didn't stop after her mum's coronial. Mm. You know, she is out there constantly talking and fighting. So, yeah, amplify, amplify, amplify. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I'm off to amplify um, <laughs> because I need to amplify and I didn't know it was wear pink for April this week. So there you go. I've got work to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tanya Day. Yeah, Tanya Day. Say April Day. No, yeah, yeah, April Day's a daughter. Sorry, I just had this moment. So sorry for listeners. I've been very unwell this week, so I'm tangling uh, yes. over my words everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, April is Tanya's daughter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wear pink for Tanya. Day. I didn't, but I will go and wear pink now because yeah. Thank you so much for your time, especially this week because you have not been well, and um, I really, I really love this conversation. You have really opened my eyes. Oh, thank you very much. Can I get, I want to know if I can claim kilometres for the blood test that I had done this week because I couldn't get any kilometres on for my team. Um, but we're nearly at orange. We're nearly at orange, but I'm lagging at only nine kilometres before I was, fell ill. So I'm I'm thinking of creative ways I can claim other kilometres. I, I, I mean, I'm not on the RAV committee. I can't say for sure, but I would probably kind of should qualify somehow. Good. I'll be in touch with Kiralee. <laughs> I'll let it. I'll let her know to expect your message. <laughs> Thanks so much. No, thank you so much, Jen. It was really lovely to chat. If you or someone close to you is experiencing family violence, please talk to someone. You can call one eight hundred Respect in Australia if you'd like to talk to a professional service. Or if there's an immediate threat to your safety, please call the police on triple zero in Australia. Okay, as always, to wrap up our episode, we are going to feature and highlight one of the amazing teams participating in the virtual challenge this year. Today's episode, you're going to meet Belinda from The Dead Ringers. An amazing team with an amazing story and she's got a message for those teams at the front of the leaderboard. Belinda, welcome to the podcast and to the team spotlight. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm, excited. Uh, so where are you based and what do you love about running and walking around your area? Uh, I'm based in Taree, in mid-north coast of New South Wales, so about three hours north of Sydney approximately if people don't know where Taree or the mid-north coast is. Um, and here it's beautiful rivers, we can do trail walks, uh, just a great place to live really and great place to walk. Nice, nice. And so tell me about your team, your team name um, and how you came together. So pre-COVID I was part of, um, we have quite a few teams here um, in Tari that, that compete with or uh, complete the RAV each year. And um, I was part of that. And when COVID kind of hit, um, I'm a funeral director and have many funeral director friends around the country who were very much affected um, through mental health during that time, obviously having to tell families that they couldn't attend a funeral or or limited to 10, uh, really got to them. So when it came to do RAV back in 2020, um, I decided to get all of them on board and get them out of their homes and walking. So... um, 
We are called the Dead Ringers because we're funeral directors from all over Australia uh, who have been um, and seen and experienced people, um, obviously, as a result of domestic violence. So it's a very much a cause to our heart as well. So um, very important to, to get out there and get amongst it. So literally we have about 40 in our walking group that we've continued on since RAV, so it started a big thing. We now have we now walk about 1,500 kilometres a year together virtually in challenges. Uh, so we do Black Dog Institute, RAV, we do a whole heap of um, different walks. Um, um, but for RAV we, we sort of hone it down to 20 um, that are keen to do to do the walking. So that's what we have from all over Australia, funeral directors. That's amazing and a fantastic team name too. Um, <laughs> not a question I normally ask as part of the team spotlight, but I'm going to ask it now because I can. Yeah. What impact have you seen um, on people's mental health as a result of this since COVID? Uh, it's amazing. It's what got them through. It's what they all say to me. If it wasn't for this group, they would have been, you know, sort of bundled up rocking in the corner. So they were really, really challenged. They are they're not really considered generally as part of a, of a first responder type um, scenario. They really are the last responder. So obviously um, they're often forgotten in that, in that space. So we, we do a lot of work or, or the government tends to do a lot of work with um, chaplains and things and with police, um, with nurses. They've got sort of a place to go to discuss any issues, mental health, but funeral directors are generally forgotten in that space. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're dealing with, horrific conditions sometimes and families who are in um, large amounts of grief. So they really take on a burden of the family and trying to make sure everything is sorted. And obviously that was heightened during COVID when they had to tell people they had to limit who could come and grieve for their mum or dad or loved one. That was really, really hard. You can't begin to imagine. No. So, yeah, they tell me me all the time this this group got them through. So I I think that's just amazing. And we have a little Facebook chat and there's a lot of banter in there and we all sort of, what's the next challenge? What are we doing next? And so we tried to find something to do every month from RAV onwards because they wanted to continue on. Oh, wow. uh, and we have people people come and go in the group, um, you know, circumstances change in lifestyle. So sometimes we have people that are walking then they might drop off for a couple of months and they come back. Um, but generally we have, there's a whole group of people that have just been there from the start, our core sort of walkers, so... Oh, wow. And RAV was the first challenge that you RAV was the start. Oh, yes. that's amazing. <laughs> and what, what do you love about RAV or maybe what have you noticed, what changes have you noticed in terms of conversation or people? Maybe, you know, um, funeral directors are more comfortable discussing uncomfortable topics than the rest of us, but what have you noticed around conversations around domestic and family violence? Well, we, I usually put up as my sort of profile pic, that kind of thing. But also um, the other funeral directors, when we go to conferences or meetings, they say, oh, I see you guys are all sort of getting together and walking when we get to these places. So they're all asking us, what are we doing? Oh. And um, so, so you we meet up those if questions. you're at a conference and you meet like you meet up and actually go for a walk together. We all walk together. So I'm flying to Perth this weekend and there's a few of us that are attending that conference in Perth. Um, so we'll all walk together for all the days that we're there. And then next weekend, when it actually the, the final day is another conference in Victoria, and there's a whole heap down there that walk in the in the group as well. Oh. So we'll actually all finish together. Well, not the whole twenty, yep. but there'll be a majority of the twenty uh, together in one place to do our final walk on the Saturday of the seventeenth. So 
which would be amazing because during COVID, we, we never got that opportunity to catch up. It was all virtual. Mm. So um, now we can actually get back out there this year and catch up and actually do some walks together, which is great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and we hope, you know, we hope we're, our conversations are making a difference. So, and even amongst our family and friends. So, you know, we're just 20, but the onflow of our conversations happen to all the 20 families and then, and you know, other people that might see you out and about with your T-shirt on or your cap on or I've, I bought the things to put on my dogs and people have stopped me and asked, you know, what's happening with the dogs? <laughs> <laughs> what's the bandana for? And you, you can ask the questions. So if you've got the gear, I think the merchandise is really important as well. Um, it does um, make people stop and ask the questions too. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, and the other thing too, we're, we're extremely competitive. So um, last year we finished fourth, I think. Um, or something like that. We we're right up in that top ten. So uh, this year we're a little bit more behind. Uh, we had some big, big runners last year that joined us, but um, we haven't had those this year. But yeah, so we're hoping to sort of um, do some big Ks this week and catch up. We're, we're extremely competitive. So um, all right, yeah. look out, leaders. The the dead ringers are coming. The dead ringers you. are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. And um, yeah, I I think our story is pretty unique, and I'm just so grateful for Rav to be able to reach out to these guys and get them on a path of great mental health anyway. So thank you. So that's it for this episode of the 2022 Run Against Violence podcast. Thank you for being here. Don't forget that if you'd like to donate or do some fundraising, you can visit the website at runagainstviolence.com forward slash donate and you can do that all the way until the end of this year. Plus, we would then love it if you would share this episode with one person or your entire team. I'm Jen Brown, and I'll chat to you in a few days' time. Bye.